thank you all. It's very good to see you here on this crisp fall, and we're supposed to be having a beautiful weekend, so we're not going to pay any attention to the overcast skies. Um, it is my great pleasure to be hosting this at the Institute of Politics. Uh, this is a joint uh, a joint venture with the IOP. Uh, and John Culver, the director of the IOP here. John, thank you Welcome. for having us over here. Welcome. Uh, this is, of course, as everyone knows, a uh, tense moment for partisan politics. Um, the election is in less than a month for the midterm elections, which are going to set the stage then for the presidential election in 2012. And one of the people we have come to really uh, rely on for insight and, um, and prognostication is Peter Hart, who is one of the legendary pollsters and has, he told me a little earlier this morning, um, made a lot of money from his fellow <laughs> prognosticators, giving them the opportunity to pick presidential, vice presidential candidates, giving them uh, odds and then winning the bets because they were inevitably wrong about uh, what they thought. Uh, he, on the other hand, uh, won $700, am I correct, by picking Barack Obama two years before a 2012. He has been willing to put his money where his mouth is in terms of his political analysis, and we are very, very glad, Peter, to have you with us here today to hear uh, what's coming. Well, thank you very much, Alice. I'm always honored and delighted to be here, and whenever Maxine is kind enough to invite me up to uh, do her class, it's always uh, a pleasure and a, uh, and a delight, and Edie, you, through the years, have been just great to me, so I thank you. But most importantly, uh, Senator John Culver, who has brought so much distinction to public life, and I have to tell you, he would have had a longer career had he not hired me. <laughs> uh, and, uh, 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 to be perfectly honest, I said, John, 1980 is going to be a great year to run for re-election. <laughs> I said, John, what could go wrong? We've got Jimmy Carter and they've got Ronald Reagan. <laughs> what could be better? And uh, John, I've given you a distinguished life in private service. <laughs> so I thank you. And, uh, and my neighbors, uh, Ben and Chris, from uh, ages uh, gone by who uh, are two of the great people. So I'm delighted to be here with all of you, and I just thank you for the, uh, for the honor. Uh, we labeled this little talk uh, uh, Hurricane Category 3 or Category 5. Now, I know everybody in this room, or at least many in this room, are sort of hoping it's going to be Earl. Uh, but <laughs> unfortunately, I would say uh, we're headed a little bit more towards Katrina, uh, as I see it. And uh, I don't, uh, I don't want to say it's bad. Let me just see if I've got this. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say it's bad, but 
basically, I'm going to go through a lot of numbers, and I find if you're a Democrat, it works much better if you have Avatar 3D glasses. <laughs> so much easier to take and more to understand. Let me briefly go through uh, some numbers, and then we'll turn and have a quick discussion if we can. And probably the best place to start is sort of where are we in terms of this country? And these are just tough, tough, dreadful times, as, uh, as the case may be. Uh, you look, 6 and 10 Americans say we're headed in the wrong direction, uh, seriously off on the wrong track. Uh, you get two-thirds of Americans saying that uh, we're a country in decline. And maybe worst of all is that you look and for 13 generations, we have handed a baton forward to the next generation. Each of us say we've had it better off than our parents' generation. And at this stage of the game, you turn around, oops, let me get this down. Uh, you turn around, and three in four Americans essentially are saying we're not going to be handing the baton forward for the first time. So you have all of those combinations of things, and those really set the mood, set the environment, which you, uh, which are not going to change in the next 26 days, and it hasn't changed this year. And finally, 46% of the American public told us on a scale of 1 to 10, we took 7 to 10, they've said, look, I've been, our family's been devastated by the economy. And all of those things are directly uh, critical to where we're at. Uh, you look, the other thing which is just sad and appalling is that our confidence in every institution that is the bedrock of our society is now down in the teens and single digits. And it doesn't make any difference whether it is uh, the Congress or the, uh, at 9 percent, or the news media, or uh, the auto industry, or the health industry, every single one, only the military, the firefighters, uh, you know, the emergency services are up there. And this just says so much about where we're at. And in many respects, you look at this set of data, and it feels much more like 1979, and the attitudes that we had at that stage of the game the sense of unraveling uh, that we have than it is like 1994 or 2006 as such. You look at the president, whether it's his personal rating or his professional rating, uh, it, it gives you a sense. In, on the professional rating, he's below 50%. Uh, when a, a president is below 50%, uh, you basically uh, are looking at a 30-seat loss or more. Uh, and that was true for Lyndon Johnson uh, in uh, 1966. It was obviously uh, true for Carter. Uh, in 78, uh, Reagan in 82, 26 seats lost, uh, and Clinton obviously in 94. So uh, this job rating, while not bad, and also trading at a very narrow range, by the way, uh, that is that it's sort of been uh, 45 to 50. So it's not that people have, you know, been swinging in wide ranges. The problem here, as you can see, it's with independence in the middle. Uh, here, uh, the president got over 53% uh, in, uh, in his election, and at this stage of the game, he's down at 37%. Uh, 
And on the personal side, the one thing I would say is that uh, the voters haven't really turned against him personally. I think that's an important point, both for 2010 and 2012. Uh, there's still a sense of uh, more goodwill than, uh, than uh, negative. Let me turn from that, if I can, to a quick look at the economy and just show you that on every single element, people think the economy is going to get uh, is is bad. We haven't hit the bottom, but most importantly, we've been asking a question for a long time for NBC and the Wall Street Journal, and that is, uh, do you think 12 months from now the economy is going to get better or worse? And if you look at this. Even as we were starting the uh, this year, where the economy was bad, you still had 40% said, no, I think the economy 12 months from now is going to get better. And then all of a sudden in June, we had a dip down to 33%, and in August it's actually dropped to 26%, and it's bumped back up into the uh, low mid 30s. But it is an example that there's very little sense. I mean, when I saw the 33 coming down, I said, uh-oh, we're into a double-dip recession. This is uh, this surprising. <coughs> psychologically, we've been doing a lot of work for CNBC over, over several years. And uh, essentially, if you look, uh, you only have one in four Americans who are saying, my wages are going to go up. And we used to have a half. So, I mean, that affects everybody's spending. That affects everybody's psychology. This is the issue. This is at the center of it. What I love to say about this is James Carville, in 18 years ago, had it right when he said, it's the economy, stupid. And the only thing that's changed is James gotten older and uglier. Uh, and outside of that, it's the statement is sort of right. Uh, you look, and here's how people feel about uh, uh, Washington. And it's a long, it's a long uh, step down from where people felt about Washington and the way in which we looked at the Congress and the sense that experience would be the best thing that you could run on. Now you try and run as far away from experience. And I put a question on the NBC Wall Street Journal poll, which, uh, which I felt was needed, but at the same time the results shocked me. And that is, uh, if there were a lever on the ballot and you could vote against every single uh, every single candidate for Congress, would you uh, would you pull that lead? Forty-eight percent of the American public said, "I get rid of every single one of them." Okay, yeah, and I think it is amazing, and it's beyond belief, and it comes through. But all of this sets up where the mood is and where the uh, things are. And uh, 2010, any way you look at it is the year of the Tea Party. Uh, and on all of this, uh, here's what we've learned. First of all, 28% of the electorate say, I am a Tea Party supporter. Not just, you know, okay, I think favorably, uh-uh, count me as a supporter. Another 18% of the electorate are sympathizers. In other words, they agree with this. That's 46% of the American public find themselves to be somewhere in alignment with the Tea Party. And you look at this, of all the primary voters, 
51% were Tea Party uh, people. So you wonder why you got all these Tuesday coming one after another after another. It was all on the basis of this. And then you look, uh, they like the Republican Party. Hey, these are all Republicans and they can only get 57% positive. How do they feel about the Tea Party? 87% positive. So they like the Tea Party more. We're doing another NBC Wall Street Journal poll soon. And I'm asking the Tea Party people, do you consider yourself more a Republican or more a member of the Tea Party? Just to be able to understand that. But the one thing they all agree on is they hate the Democrats. Uh, and then you look and 70% of all conservatives are Tea Party either members or, or affectionados uh, or affinity group. But let me tell you one other thing. 70% uh, of all the people who watch Fox are these Tea Party people. So they're feeding off one another. And politically, it's going to be tremendously important this year because you look and what they tell you is they get out to vote. I mean, they'll walk through this uh, this wall or the brick wall in order to get vote. There's no doubt about it. Don't don't think they're not going to show up. They're going to be there much more than any, anybody else. Eighty percent of them are going to vote for the Republicans. So the margins that they are going to roll up wherever they're voting is unbelievable. And what's their agenda? Well, it's cutting spending, reducing government, and more personal liberties. So you can get the sense of where they look. And their choice. message is simple. Choice. Protest. Uh, yeah, I don't think choice was at the top I wonder if that was list. a personal liberty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not their liberty. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and the Obama administration, that's where the protest is. So you bring it all down. And this is the fascinating thing to me. You look, and usually when it's a great year for somebody, their numbers are up, the other party's down. America doesn't like the Democrats very much, but uh, not all that bad. Independence, as you can see, pretty bad number. But they don't like the Republican Party. You look 30-43, and with independence, while the Republicans are doing well, uh, overall with independence in the vote, they don't like them either. Here's the fascinating thing. In 2008, when George Bush was just hated and reviled, and the Republicans had screwed up everything, etc., the favorable feelings towards the Republicans exactly two years ago was 35% positive and 46% negative. The Republicans are less popular today than they were two years ago when they were <coughs> the title. So everybody's thinking this is a great Republican victory. No, it isn't. It is a great anti-vote. People have not turned towards the Republican. Now, let me give you, uh, okay, uh, who wants the glasses? Okay, uh, here's the problem. Republicans are interested in voting. 66%. By the way, remember those uh, Tea Party people are up at 80. Independents at 51 and Democrats barely at 52. So instead of it being a 44-44 race, if all registered voters were going out to vote, Democrats with most likely voters are down 46-43. However, 
in the previous poll we did, it was 49-40. So Hispanics and African Americans have gotten a little bit more interested and has closed the margin. But let me translate this for you. This turns into about a 52-48 race. And the Republicans winning 52% of the seats in the House of Representatives, can you translate it? Well, it ends up being pretty close when you look at it. That means that the Republicans essentially uh, will end up with 230 plus seats. Here's, here's the interesting thing. You look, among those people with the highest level of interest, Democrats get wiped out 52-37. Among those people who will definitely not vote, low level of interest, the Democrats win by 19 points. So you expand the electorate and you say, well, let's take 8, 9, and 10. It's a nine-point advantage. You take a, the advantage of, uh, of voted 6 and 8. Uh, just to answer one thing, somebody's going to say, well, how'd you get three? We have a whole combination of things that we look at, uh, Joe McIntosh, my partner, the Republican holster, on this. And we ended up at about 46, 43. But you look, the Democrats have a lot of work to do in terms of coming out. So I know Alex said to me, bring Prozac with you. So everybody has <laughs> But I like to believe you never know in elections. And the only thing that I can tell you is, if we'd been together five years ago, just five years ago, and I had said to you, oops. One of these three couples will still be married. So my hope and desire is that we never know for an election. Okay, it's all yours. <laughs> I'd like to get a clear sense of what, if you were betting, yep. you would bet will be the midterm results. Um, if I had to lay a nickel down, uh, Democrats hold the Senate, and if I had to lay a nickel down, the Republicans carry the House. And would you talk about, just briefly, what the implications of that switch in the House are? Sure. I mean, essentially, it, uh, it changes everything. Uh, we will we will have tons of investigations. We will have uh, uh, gridlock of the worst degree, because the message that will come out of this election is uh, do nothing, uh, and essentially, uh, and when I say do nothing. Uh, don't pass something, defeat something. And I, I think they will, the Republicans in charge will, uh, will be motivated and galvanized by the Tea Party and, and Fox News. And I think that will push them very directly towards, uh, towards the kind of 
uh, legislation that cuts and change, you know, that anything they can do uh, that can cut things. They will try and do something on health care. I don't think that will happen in the end of the day. They may make uh, some changes. But uh, I would think the next two years will be a mess. And uh, if I were to take a half step further, I think that Barack Obama is not Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton read the elections and immediately uh, figured out what he had to do to survive. And I think Barack Obama will be less likely to move uh, as adroitly uh, on those things. So uh, in one respect, he'll be more principled than another respect. Uh, he'll probably have a harder, harder road over the next two years. So if you were looking ahead to 2012 no. yet? Nope, wouldn't do it. <laughs> too, too early. Right, the only thing that I would tell you about 2012 is that the Republicans will pay the price for the Tea Party tremendously in 2012 because it is going to so skew how they approach their electorate. And uh, the Tea Party uh, will become uh, sort of the galvanizing force, and it will force candidates, I think, to go over to that side, opening up a lot of the middle uh, and creating problems for the Republicans. But in terms of how it all plays out, too early. Senator Colmer? No, I have no questions. Thank you. <laughs> I, don't you want to ask him about 1980? Tom has a question. Yeah, I, Tom, could you talk a little bit about uh, where the Christian right kind of fits into this equation? Because the, uh, I mean, there are at least some potential conflicts between, at least on the social issues where they stand and where most people in the Tea Party. Yeah, I see. The one thing I haven't studied close enough, Tom, is. Uh, the overlap in terms of membership. And, you know, the point that you raise gives me another uh, additional thought or question, which is instead of asking people if they identify most with the Republicans or the Tea Party, I should probably give them a short list and say which element is your uh, guiding principle. And my guess is that while many Tea Party or many of the Tea Party people are also Christian right, they probably adhere much more to the Christian right. So they will be another force within all of the, all of the things that are going on. And my guess is that uh, there will be some conflicts between the Tea Party and the Christian right. But my guess is they're going to have sort of more you know, what I would say. Each will, each will stick to their own knitting. That would be my guess, and each will be a force within that. Yeah, Peter, there is a strong trend of GDP up and unemployment down. Yeah. What happens to all these numbers? I mean, in the, over, the next, over the next two years? Flips. I mean, uh, as, the, as the economy goes, uh, so goes. Uh, I mean, a, a year ago, I was in uh, visiting uh, uh, David and Rom, and, uh, and we were going over in 2010. And they said, uh, what's the one number? I said, look at unemployment. I said, if unemployment is 12, you're going to get 
totally killed. If it's 10, it's going to be terrible. And if it's 8, it'll be just fine. And it's pretty easy to look at that. And I think that's that's the case. How quickly does the economy uh, recover? I mean, uh, uh, I can't remember. if it, uh, it may have been Carl Rove's column in the journal today, but uh, it was either Carl's or somebody else's, which said, you know, in 06, the Democrats were just ravaging the Republicans on the fact that uh, it was a jobless recovery and it was 6% unemployment. Said, you know, how quickly would the Democrats take that? And, you know, so uh, it's clear that uh, for Obama to rally, uh, part of it is going to have to be the economy. And if it doesn't come back, uh, he could join... Uh, he could join uh, Bush 41 <coughs> as the only two first-term uh, first incumbents. Yes, a few points about I'm a fellow here at the IOP. Okay. I came, I'm coming from Israel, so I, I don't exactly understand your system. <laughs> I understand one thing, <clears throat> that the American public is pissed off with the, with the president. Okay. But why it has such an impact? on the regional elections. I mean, I have my senator or, or my representative in the House. I'm, I like him. He's doing a good job. He represents me well. So why should I vote <coughs> against him? Because I'm, I'm angry with the president. Uh, it's a very good question. Uh, and the fact is that uh, Tip O'Neill, the House <coughs> Speaker uh, and great Democrat from the Cambridge area, uh, used to say all politics is local. Uh, for the Democrats, they're hoping all politics is local, and in many cases they will claw back some of these seats. Uh, but from my point of view, what we have learned over a course of a half century is that there's a very strong relationship between the job rating of the president and how the incumbent party does. And, uh, and 50 seems to be the magic number. And so the president being below 50, I think, is a, uh, is a, central, uh, a central problem. And while people will be voting the individual races, uh, what I'm saying is the coloration of the mood and the feelings sets the, uh, sets the tone for the election and so much of what happens. This is a brutal election, and if this is your first election that you're watching. And the one thing we haven't talked about, which I'll segue into for a second, this election, and Alex and I talked about this, is a John Roberts election. He's tilted the playing field from being somewhat equal to this, because all the independent money that is coming in during October has just slid this election to the Republicans in a big, big way. Peter, you've always been tantalized by the idea of a third party and the potential for a third party. Does this, do these numbers scream third party to you, or do, do you see it as something else? Uh, I don't see the Tea Party as a third party, uh, uh, but uh, I still am of a great, I, I, I've been surprised that we have not developed a third party. I know how difficult it is, uh, but uh, given the mood, given the feelings, um, I think there's the potentiality. I don't think that uh, the Mayor Bloomberg would <clears throat> run 
but uh, he would be a very formidable third-party person. Can you get somebody coming out of the wings of either party, uh, the, uh, uh, the left or the right? I think that's more problematic. I think that comes out of one party. I think uh, somebody has to come out of the middle with galvanizing independence, the way Colin Powell could have done. So I, I believe the potentiality for a third party is still very much there. Um, the Tea Party has a simple name and a simple message of no. Uh, if you're advising some of these uh, incumbents, the Democrats, is there any simple message that can save any of them in the next you know, less than 30 days? Well, uh, I'm going to do that with Max's class. <laughs> what can save them in the next 30 days? I happen to be a believer in turnout. So I think that uh, if the Democrats are going to have a chance, they're going to have to figure out uh, that. And uh, as Tom, I think was Tom, you have to you have to pull back seat by seat by seat. And I think there are a number of seats Democrats will carry with a minority of vote only because they'll be a libertarian and they'll pick up four, five, six percent. So overall, uh, do I think that there is a, a national message? I don't think there's somebody that you can galvanize around. Somebody said to me, oh, I know, in my, I teach at the University of Pennsylvania Annenberg School uh, uh, a class. And so I was going over the polling material, and somebody in my class raised his hand and said, I've got the slogan. This election is a no-bainer. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I wish we could just make it a no-brainer, but I don't think it's high enough profile if you don't have a Gingrich. No. Uh, would you would you speculate on what this uh, may do for the uh, political fortunes of uh, Governor Palin and Vice President Clinton? Uh, uh, Vice President Clinton uh, will be uh, Secretary of State uh, Clinton or Secretary of Defense Clinton uh, by the time we reach 2012. I, I don't think uh, I don't think that uh, it makes much sense. I mean, it's not. Uh, put it this way: Joe Biden is not Dan Quayle. Joe Biden has done just fine. So, what's the purpose? Uh, and you say, well, politically, you can do this or that. I'll tell you the most intriguing number of all my polls, and that is Bill Clinton has risen up to about 56% positive and about 30% negative. I have watched this man for eight years uh, since he's been president, and it's always 42 positive and 42 negative. And sometimes when he gets a little riled up, it'll go to the negative side. He is now the hero of the American public. And what is fascinating <coughs> is that among Tea Party uh, uh, supporters, he's 30% positive and 43% negative. Go figure. These are people voting 80 to 12 <coughs> for the GOP, and, uh, and he stands at that level. Uh, Senator Palin, uh, I'm willing to take bets, will not run uh, in 2012. That would be 
So you can line up and get your money from me. <laughs> I wanted to ask if I could about the number, the passing of the baton. Now, if I understand you correctly, that's the lowest it's ever been. And and yet we are, while well, you've been pulling, and yet there have been pretty severe economic problems in the past. I'm thinking about the high unemployment, uh, high prime rate in the early 80s, various other periods. What makes this different? And is this an indication of some longer term trends that you've seen developing? I think it is. Uh, we have had periods of time where people think that the next generation is not going to have it as well. But it's never dropped down to 27%. I think it's a problem of uh, uh, you look and if Tom Brokaw wrote about the greatest generation being, quote, our parents, grandparents, uh, uh, I think our generation will be uh, the generation that uh, squandered it all. In other words, we ran up the debt, uh, we, uh, we used our world's resources, we polluted the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I think that, uh, that uh, young people look at it and they say, we're not being handled what, you know, our parents were, were handled. And they look at it, and I don't think it's only young people. It's our age, et cetera, saying they're going to have a tougher time in a tougher world all the way around. And I think it's a serious problem, and I think people are, uh, that uh, people are worried. And remember, we're not talking necessarily around the globe, we're only talking about the United States. Uh, Peter, just curious, these trend lines, I would agree, are depressing from the Democrat side, but if these hold for the next three weeks, which seem likely, are there still any bellwether races that you're looking at for a week out? And I'm thinking of like Perriello or Shea Porter or Michael Curry in New York that will kind of indicate of how big the wave is going to be. Yeah, I I had a chart and uh, somehow I've forgotten it. I had a series of races uh, across the country, uh, but. Uh, the Wall Street Journal did a very good piece today, uh, and by the way, it's really interesting, the Wall Street Journal is obviously the institution I poll for, but they are now a major player in terms of political coverage. You cannot afford not to read them. And I'm not talking about editorial or op-ed, I'm talking about what they're doing in the news section. And they had a great section uh, or a great point, which is, if you look at the six Midwest states, uh, and I say Midwest, and I put that in uh, quotes, because, yeah, and I, I mentioned this on Monday on a briefing with NBC, but Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, you take those six states, uh, Barack Obama carried all of those states. You've got over a hundred electoral votes. You have 12 senators, 10 of them are Democratic uh, in those six states. Uh, and I counted up the number of congressional districts in those six states that are part of this sort of swing uh, group. 
and I think I got to to the number of something like eighteen. And I think you look at those those seats, and if those start tumbling, uh, everything's going is going to tumble very badly uh, because uh, you know it is. And by the way, uh, of the six states, with the exception of Indiana, they're all Democratic governors. And at the end of the night, they could all be Republican governors. So you stop to think about that's a huge what I call blue collar blues. Uh, and, but that is uh, that's taking it on the chin. Now, having said that, I've also seen some encouraging numbers recently out of the Midwest, which gives me hope. But that's where I that's where I'm going. I know you don't want to talk about 2012, but if I were Barack Obama, I'd be looking at this election and going, well, damn. But looking back over midterm elections for lots of previous presidents, they have been bad. And none has faced the size of economic collapse that he's been working with. And his numbers aren't shifting that badly down. They'll hold the Senate. They're only going to lose 30 seats. I mean, you would expect much more devastation. And what one might think is, Obama's going to take this hit, the Senate will block the House from doing anything, or as fallback, Obama will block the Congress from doing much right. of anything, we'll get this gridlock, and uh, the Republicans will be baited into doing things like anti-immigration or stuff that will bring out the Democratic base and the new Democratic base that won't show up for the midterms, and that this could sweep Obama in the way Reagan swept in in 84. Uh, or uh, the way Clinton swept in in 94, and the second term could look just the opposite, particularly because the economic cycle is going to run toward him, not away from him. I don't believe there's going to be a global downturn that follows this one. So this could actually, this may be the dark before the light. I don't want I, to... No, I think your insight is, is exactly right. Uh, to me, what's always fascinating is to sort of all the water's on one side of the boat. Mm -hmm. And everybody says, ah, oh, the boat's going to tip over, it's whatever, and then all of a sudden it all shifts back over. And your uh, evaluation is not, uh, is not incorrect. And that is, uh, the Republicans out of 2010 are going to create tremendous opportunities for the Democrats. Uh, so there is clearly that. Uh, and if you'll remember, uh, you know, I, I remember President George Romney. Uh, I remember <laughs> President Ed Muskie. I remember <laughs> President Edward Kennedy. Uh, I mean, you know, we get into these things that were absolutely positive, and all I'm saying is a long ride, and uh, to go back to Chris's question, yeah, the economy better, better bounce back, or Ben's question, the economy better bounce back uh, in order to make uh, the other things. But I, I think the Republicans are created huge opportunities coming out of this. The Tea Party is one. You mentioned immigration. Let me give you just one set of facts. And that is, in, 19, in 2004, we took all of our polls and added them together on party ID for Hispanics. So we had over a thousand Hispanics that we did. Uh, 49% were Democrats and 27% were Republicans. 22 point margin. We have been following it every year. 
it is now 58% uh, Democratic and 22% Republican. 36-point spread. And the point here is what the Republicans have done on immigration is essentially the equivalent to what the Republicans did in Reconstruction, and they've handed over the fastest growing part of the electorate. Here's my prediction. 2024, Texas will be as reliably blue as California and New York. Right, that's right. That is the effect of it. Well, if you start to put Texas, California, and New York, and Illinois as reliably blue, you then start to say, boy, it is going to be a tough day for Republicans to put together an electoral college. So uh, the Republicans are either going to have to change their views very quickly on immigration, which has a tremendous <coughs> back and forth, or uh, they'll be suffering the process. But where do the Hispanics fit on that likely voters scale? Are they one to fives? Or yeah, they have a yeah. No, they're one to fives. They're uh, they're very low. Well, yeah, they're very low, uh, low intensity, low interest. I mean, yeah, that's obviously what the hope is that they will become more interested. But right now, the people who are sitting it out are young people, uh, minorities, uh, African Americans, and Hispanics, uh, and uh, women, single moms, uh, etc. Low education. Yes. So, what do you think? Um, Obviously, the DNC is getting this kind of information. I mean, where is the vote now or forever hold your peace kind of message? I mean, why do you think that's where they're going to start to put money towards the end of the month? I mean, it seems like if that is going to have a big impact if they can get people there. Yeah, I well, that's what I believe that they have to be able to do, and that's where I think the money should be put. Uh, you know, is there a fighting message? Yeah, I think there are a lot of fighting messages, but I think it's very hard to have a, a winning message in the last three weeks, given this environment in which the public is going to suddenly say, oh, now I get it, it's the Democrats who should be in. So I think that what you're trying to do is show the shortcomings of the Republicans district by district. I mean, I think we were talking about this. Uh, uh, Palladino, uh, uh, Linda McMahon, uh, Christine O'Donnell, I think, you know, voters will look at some of these people and say uh, they're just too far out, but they're going to be electing a lot of the these people, as you stop and think about going across the country, uh, when you look at Alaska, you look at uh, Nevada, you look at Kentucky, you can uh, run off a whole series of people. <coughs> yes. Is it your sense that Republicans are going to have to change their views on same-sex marriage? No. <laughs> no. Because I, I think Tom's point here is, a, a, see, what we've done is uh, unlike Iowa and California is going to get there. Uh, we don't have uh, we don't have a level playing field in terms of the congressional uh, districts, and so for most Republicans, they've got one concern: Am I going to be challenged in the primary? Because once I get through the primary, it doesn't make any difference what happens. So 
I'm going to worry about the Christian right. I'm going to worry about the Tea Party. That's, I mean, they're already writing about Olympia Snow and Bob Corker and whoever else it is that are not sufficiently pure for them. So I, I just don't think uh, the Republicans will get smart uh, in terms of same-sex marriage. I mean, I think they'll continue to push uh, their agenda, despite the fact that attitudes are clearly going only in one direction, which is uh, which is much more progressive. Um, re reading recently about the, the Koch brothers uh, and, and uh, the other funders, would, would you be willing to, how many seats do you think will turn over as a result of the Citizens United case? I mean, do you think that can you quantify that? Well, I, I mean, it, you'll have to wait and see on election night, but I would bet you if you put down the amount of outside money coming from those groups next to the percentage of the candidates, you'll end up with a whole slew of those seats. I don't know if it will be 20, if it'll be 15, but it'll be a slew of the seats. Now, a lot of the seats would have turned anyway. And, you know, uh, you've got John Spratt, who's one of the great legislators down in South Carolina. Uh, well, he's he's been living well for a lot of years, and he's superlative, but a year like this, uh, you know, the district's going to be just too difficult to hold. And uh, so there are people like that who are going to lose because of the year, and it wouldn't have made any difference. But there are a lot of other people. May I ask, what is the correct pronunciation of those brothers' <laughs> names? I've heard it several different ways. I don't know. Anybody know? Authoritatively? I, it was I believe it's, 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 it's Coke. 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 Yeah. I thought it was crap. For those of us from the left coast, can you wax a little bit about California predictions? Yeah, California is fascinating. Uh, I just came back from California and done some work in California. Uh, Jerry Brown is ahead by about 3%, and it has been a struggle uh, all the way through. Uh, the key to this election are <clears throat> Democrats who do not vote for Brown. And that's almost one in four Democrats. Okay? I mean, that is a huge defection. They don't vote for Brown and they do vote for Meg or they don't vote? No, oh, no, 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 no. They're voting for Meg or they may be undecided. And uh, they're voting for uh, they're voting for Barbara Boxer, and they're voting for uh, Gavin Newsom, and et cetera. So uh, it's and I think there are two things going on. One makes money, pushed a lot of these people. Oh, you know, she's going to bring in jobs, and we're going to do this and that. And I think the other thing is that Jerry Brown over the years has alienated a lot of Democrats. So the ability for Jerry to bring Democrats home, and particularly Hispanics, Latinos, and that's a huge problem. Now, this was taken before we have all of the, uh, the you're my best friend 
uh, and part of my extended family. Uh, don't say that I've ever known you or you know me. Uh, that's right. I mean, Alex has always been a member of my extended family. I'm just he's special and marvelous. Uh, but don't say that I've ever known you or you've known me. That's how close we are. I mean, she got rid of the maid. And and uh, and is trying to play both sides. Uh, I think if I'm Brown, I run I run that as hard as I can. There is a great YouTube uh, video. Uh, I'll send Max the link, and you can send it to everybody. Uh, called Meg for Meg, uh, and it is a jib jab kind of thing, and it is very very funny. Uh, in the end of the day. I think Brown wins, uh, and I would tell you of the 13 Senate seats that are considered toss-ups at this stage of the game, uh, I'd put, uh, put California as one of the top three safe Democratic seats. The arena just has not quite uh, pulled over the top. There's something that's missing. I don't know how much it's HP how much she comes off in a certain way. But uh, I think, in the end of the day, California will be okay for the Democrats. Some friends of mine went to a conference in Detroit this summer, the uh, US Social Forum. And I was surprised when they told me that there were 15,000 to 20,000 people going to this conference, not a rally, but a conference. So I'm wondering. What is the disaffection on the left with Obama and the Democrats? Because there seems to be a lot of that that's going into the negative. <coughs> there is clearly some disaffection, but I would put it this way. They, I mean, well, the first thing I'd say is Obama at this stage has more defection from Democrats than Bush had from Republicans. Uh, which is interesting. And it's not that it's huge or whatever, but it is a sense of uh, we expected this and we thought that we would uh, hold firm uh, for the public option on health care and a series of things. Uh, and I think his biggest challenge in 2011 uh, beyond the economy uh, becomes Afghanistan. And I think uh, uh, if that turns south, uh, uh, I think then the disaffection grows. Can you uh, put a number on the disaffection from the Democrats? Uh, I would say it is about 12% at this stage. It's not, it's not a huge number, uh, but it's around 12%. I had a question on sort of the Roberts court impact on other types of elections. If I understand it correctly, um, about 85% of judges around the country are elected. Um, and I'm wondering if corporate money <coughs> has been directed in that uh, in, in that area as well, as, as effectively as it has. And it's, I know it's not what you poll, but it's Iowa. Iowa. Tell me about Iowa. Yeah, Vander Plaats. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, one of the one of the organizations getting all this money is putting money behind Vander Plaats, who lost the gubernatorial primary to Brinstead, and they're trying to take out 
two, they have a retention system in Iowa. They're trying to take out two judges who are up for retention. It was a unanimous same-sex marriage decision. They were appointed by Branstad when he was governor, but they're yeah. not conservative enough anymore. And it's a very scary precedent. Yeah, it's a, much it's more, a really much scary thing. Kind of system yeah. <coughs> Yeah, but yeah, I did not yeah. know that. And it's, it's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. I'm not surprised. Chris? Did you have another question? Peter, have you done much polling on uh, attitudes towards China? I mean, clearly the most important part of that relationship for the future. <coughs> How do people feel about China? Are we being victimized by them? Are they hate <coughs> What's your sense of the, of that? Yeah. Very important in the future. Uh, well, uh, 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 the sense of challenge from China is very definitely there, but uh, in the last NBC Wall Street Journal poll, uh, from what you know, do you think that free trade agreements between the United States and other countries help to create more jobs in the U.S., or do you think they cost us jobs? Uh, by a margin of 69 to 18, the public says it costs us jobs. Now, we measured this also in uh, in March of 1996, it was uh, 59 to 25. So, you know, even in better economic times, there's that concern. And do you think that uh, free trade agreements between the United States and foreign countries have helped the United States, hurt the United States, or not made much difference either way? Uh, the margin is uh, 53 to 17, it's hurt. If you go back to, uh, to 1999, uh, it was 39 to 30, it helped. So I think, again, in economic times, it's difficult. Um, I, I think the attitudes towards China uh, are not, quote, uh, nearly as negative uh, as we had, let's say, towards Soviet Union or uh, I don't. I don't think we see them as the same kind of adversary. We're out of time. I want to ask you one final question. This is easy. If you were, if you were, if you were betting, who will be the wackiest person that is going to be joining the Congress <laughs> after the election? <laughs> <laughs> not Christine O'Donnell. She's not the wackiest, or she's not going to be she's joined. Not joined. Not joined. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm tempted to say Rand Paul, but the only thing I can say is when Rand Paul won the primary, it was worth its weight in gold because essentially it's going to drive Mitch McConnell crazy. And that's for the price of having Rand Paul in the United States. So uh, he will cause more problems uh, for Mitch McConnell than anything, because he can't stand McConnell and McConnell can't stand. Chris, did you have something? Can you give us a quick, oh, if you had to read one thing in the morning to get uh, a fix, what, 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 what do you go to or what can we go to? Well, I, uh, uh, I, I guess what I'm trying to do is push you to the journal. Uh, and, <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm saying I wouldn't have said that last year and I wouldn't have said it in previous elections. All I'm saying is somehow if you just look at today, for example, there are six articles that you can't 
be playing the game if you haven't read. And so I, I think they've become awfully good. And, uh, you know, I look at the same kinds of blogs as everybody else. Peter Hart, thank, thank you. you so much.